Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. What is up, my friends? Welcome back to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? My name is Grant, and it is so good to have you here with us today. Really do appreciate it. Really does mean a lot. And uh, we got a great show for you today. Got a lot of great guests coming up in the near future. So if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, make sure you do that. I'd love for you to leave us a rating and review with an iTunes or a Stitcher, wherever you may be listening to shows. But we got a lot of good guests, a lot of just interesting, random careers. The things that you hear about those careers or businesses, and you're like, how did you get into that? And you know, let me just go on a quick rant for a second here. You know, whenever you listen to these shows, I hear a lot of people that reach out and like, they're so inspiring and I love hearing these different stories and stuff. That's great and I'm happy for that. But I want you to take action. Like, what is it that you really want to do in life? Like, what is it that you want your life to become? I'll give you a quick story. I was on a flight recently. You may know I travel a decent amount and I remember the flight attendant was kind of going through their safety spiel, explaining how to buckle a seatbelt, which, you know, it's important. And at the end of her safety spiel, she says this. She says, thanks for flying with us. Have a great flight or don't. It's up to you. I was like, huh, well, that's new. I haven't heard that before. That's so true. Like, have a great flight or don't. In the same way that I could say to you, hey, have a great life, have a great career, have a great business or don't, whatever. It's up to you. It's literally up to you. It's not someone else's fault. It's not someone else's responsibility. It's not someone else's problem. It is on you. You, my friends, have the ability to make life great, to enjoy the work you love. So if you're living life thinking, thank God it's Friday to, oh God, it's Monday, you need to do something different. What is it going to take for you to actually make a change, to actually decide, no, no, I can't keep living like this. I have to do something else. I have to find and do work that I love. Listen, that's why you listen to the show, not just to find that inspiration, but to take action, to find those strategies and tactics to begin to move the ball forward in your business or in your career. So, all right, let me step down off the soapbox. Boom. There we go. Let's get into it. Today, we've got my buddy, Mike Vardy, that's joining us. Mike is a productivity strategist, and he'll explain exactly what that means, but he runs the blog, Productivityist. You can check it out at productivityist.com. Great conversation that Mike and I have. As always, feel free to download the bonus material. Mike and I stick around for about five, six minutes, something like that afterwards to chat, talk about some productivity hacks and some tools that he recommends. He's also including a few extra pieces of content for the bonus, so you can download that all at grantbaldon.com slash Mike Vardy. So let's get right into it. Here you go, my friends. Here's my conversation with Mike Vardy of Productivityus. Today, we are joined by my Canadian buddy, Mike Vardy, who teaches about productivity. And I think we all need to be a little more productive with life. We all have the same amount of time in any given day, month, week, year, all of that jazz. And so Mike has made a living teaching other people about how to maximize that time. So Mike, what's up, brother? How are you doing? I'm doing great, Grant. Thanks for having me. Despite having a bit of dental work done today, I'm doing okay. We were just sharing war stories before we started recording about 
all of the dental stuff that we have to deal with. These are like adulting, grown-up issues that we just, like as a kid, you don't think about this stuff. You know, you're just like, I just I want to be an adult. I want to grow up. And now you're like, crap, I got to pay for dental stuff. And I can't exactly go into a dental office and say, okay, how do you manage time better? It's one of the few places that I can actually say, you know, like, well, hold on. You could probably, you just can't do it. There's a couple places where I just keep my mouth shut or rather open and just don't say anything. It's better, ideally, if you can, just keep your mouth shut completely so you don't, <laughs> don't have to mess with you at all. You just smile and nod. All right, so you run the site Productivityist. Besides being a mouthful, like what exactly is that? What is the Productivityist? So Productivityist is a term I coined that basically described kind of my journey to being a productivity strategist. So when I first started to really study productivity, I was an enthusiast. So I wanted to learn how to develop a better workflow, how to kind of get through the things that I absolutely needed to do, and then get better at decision making in terms of what I ought to do, and then ultimately do more of what I really wanted to do. So I started to study productivity. And then as I did that, I became a specialist. I, you know, I learned the different tools, the different approaches that were out there. And I started to teach it. And that's when that teaching component came into play. And then over time, I've developed my own approach called the Now Here Formula and other practices that I coach people in. I've got, you know, my own methodology. And that is in turn where I became a strategist. I actually was watching Tony Robbins talk to Marie Forleo, you know, a few months ago. And he said, I'm a life strategist. I'm like, oh, I like that term. So and it basically the ist off of every single one of those blends in nicely with productivity ist. So that's kind of where that came from. And what does that exactly look like? Is that are you doing consulting? Or you have a product? How do you actually pay the bills at the end of the day? Most of the income right now comes in from one-to-one coaching. So I'll largely work with individuals. And then through that, what's happened is I've actually started to work with larger companies. So there's a company in Washington, D.C. that I work with quite extensively with all of their team members. Actually, today, I just got off a call with a company in Texas, and I'm working with their group virtually to try to streamline their project management and task management approach. So it varies. There are people that I work with that are CEOs of major companies. And then there are people who are the stay-at-home mom that just wants to get more of the right things done every day without feeling overwhelmed. So a large portion of where the income comes in at this point is through the one-to-one coaching. Although I have developed course, like a virtual workshop called Beyond Productivity, which is a product. And I have some other products out there as well. The Night Owl Action Plan for those who are not early risers, you know, like me, who's a (laughs) night owl, who needs to know how to get things done at night, that kind of stuff. So it's largely a service-based business at this point, but product lines are in development and some are already out there. So in terms of the service-based stuff, it sounds like it's kind of a wide range. So you've got the company side, the corporate side, but then you've got the solopreneurs of the world. And then you've got the moms and dads who are just trying to, I think about my own wife, she's a stay-at-home mom, but she homeschools our three girls. And so she is very, very busy, much busier than I would ever be. So even so, it sounds like even just working with a variety of different types of people and their type of circumstance to help them maximize their day and their time. Yeah. And one of the things I've found, I'm sure you found this through your speaking as well, is as you do more of this stuff, and I've been coaching for, we're going on about, I guess we're close to 20 months now, you find that you learn stuff from your clients as well as to what they need and stuff. So I get that direct feedback. I used to do comedy and I used to be a performer on stage, actor and stuff like that. So I get a lot of feedback, that energy that comes from these are the one people I'm dealing with or when I do the workshops or, or speaking engagements, I actually get a lot of material from that. So I'm learning from the people in one-to-one situations, just like you would sending a survey out you know, uh, in an email newsletter. So the great thing about what I do is that I can help people, again, whether they're the person that just is ready to take things to the next level in terms of their business or they're just you know trying to make sure that they're not living to work instead of, you know, balancing their lives. So it's a really interesting place that I found myself in. And it wasn't something that I 
actively pursued, really. It's just I kind of followed Greg Hickman's advice. It was really interesting. He put a post up saying, you already have a product in you. It's coach, like service. Do that. Like teach what you know. Yeah. And that's kind of what's happened. And it, it just took off from the get-go. And, and now I'm turning more people away than I am accepting. In fact, we're at this point now developing a training program for people who can be coaches and as part of the productivity as team. I like it. Very cool. And one of the things that you kind of said there I liked is that you're constantly learning from your own clients. And I think the great point there is that if you waited until you felt like, okay, I know everything there is to know on the subject of productivity, you would never get started. You'd continue just to sit there and spin your wheels and hurry up and wait. But when you're like, I have a good base of knowledge. I know something about this. I know that I can teach people. I'm going to go out there and start with the idea that I'm going to always be evolving. I'm going to always be changing. I'm going to always be improving and learning from my audience or people that I'm coaching or people that I'm working with, I think is such a great lesson for everybody to not necessarily wait until you feel like you're ready to get started. Well, yeah. like One of the things that happened when I started to do the coaching is it took off and I apologized to my wife. She's my partner in this business. She handles all the admin stuff and basically tells me, yes, we have money to do this or no, we don't. (laughs) Uh, I said, I'm sorry. I wish I would have started this soon. She goes, no, you weren't ready yet. I said, what do you mean? She said, like, you've known this stuff for a long time, but you weren't in a position where you felt comfortable to do it. She goes, but I was ready to kick you in the butt and get you going because she reads this stuff too. And she said, you know, like there, you were offering something. And the nice thing is that I've heard from people like when I was getting started writing about productivity and the David Allen company, I was writing for their blog and they had asked me to write for them saying, you know, you bring an interesting spin to this because you add humor to the mix. You actually are able to kind of relate to people on a human level as opposed to a business level. And you're able to engage with people in a way that we haven't really seen in a while. Why don't you do this for us? My wife said, you've been able to do this for a long time and that has never gone away. So the way you spin it, the way you bring to the table is unique and that's going to work for some people. And as you know, it's not going to work for everybody. But if you try to, just like you said, if you waited to get started until you know everything, you're never going to get started. If you try to appeal to everybody, you're going to appeal to nobody. And I like one of the things that you kind of mentioned there where you're able to take your knowledge of productivity and your knowledge of comedy. And it sounds like you've kind of been able to blend those worlds together in certain ways. And I want to talk about the comedy piece. I love good comedy. I love watching comedians. And as a speaker, I can always resonate with good comedy. But it sounds like, you know, that you've been able to take both of those worlds, put them together. And I think that's a great lesson for so many people listening to this is we feel overwhelmed with a lot of things that we're interested in or a lot of things that we're good at. And so it feels like I have to choose one or the other. I like comedy, but I also like productivity. And these are completely opposite worlds. And so I have to choose one or the other rather than being like, how can I take both of these seemingly opposite topics and kind of bring them together, marry them together to be able to do two things that I really enjoy? And it was tough at first because I was making a modest, and when I say modest, I mean really modest living doing comedy. I just left Costco and it was trying to balance these things out. And that's when I started to study productivity because I thought, you know, how do I manage the life stuff and the day job and how to do all that stuff? with the comedy career and it wasn't jiving until I had this epiphany watching the Colbert Report of all things where I watched him make fun of the right and I watched him make fun of politics and satirize him like oh that's my angle the problem was when I started doing that and I still think it'd be a problem today is two things number one productivity is still such a very small niche and again to be a satirist within productivity as a full-time gig was a challenge. Then the other thing is, is that you have to be really, really good at it. Like yeah. satire, you cannot go halfway with it. You have to go 100%. You know, you have to be the Jonathan Swift that says, how do we feed the poor? I don't, let's feed them children. Like that's the kind of stuff that he would write about. And it was, people were mortified by it. But of course, it was just pointing out the hypocrisy of what was going on at the time. If anyone studied Jonathan Swift, he was an amazing satirist. 
But what I found was I ended up having to shift gears because I couldn't do that satire very well. And also there was no real market for this. So what I did was I said, how do I take my performance stuff, the stuff I really love doing and envelop something that I know people really need. And that's kind of how this morphed into it. And what was funny is that I used to be called an eventual productivity expert and I would satirize it and the site was called eventualism. Once I started going down the road of becoming an actual productivity strategist, I could no longer do that parody site because I'd become the very thing I was parodying. But I mean, I get to go up and, you know, I do a podcast, of course, you've been on the show, Uh you know, I do speaking engagements, I get to coach people, I get to tell stories in those sessions on stage, you know, in the podcast, it was a lot of trial and error and a lot of work. I mean, there's no such thing as an overnight success, quote unquote, but when you can find it and you embrace it, magic happens. And, you know, I mean, one of the reasons I left comedy behind too, is that I have a family. I mean, I've got a 10 year old daughter and a a five year old son. I would have been on the road. There was no way I'd be married right now and in a relationship if I was doing comedy. I'd be traveling and I'd be, I wouldn't have the life I have now. So I'm very grateful that I kind of stepped back, got aware, really connected with what I really wanted to do and how to make it work as much as possible and then get better and better at it. And I think ultimately that's what productivity boils down to is self-awareness, intention, and attention. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Let's back up a little bit. So was your kind of first adult gig, was that doing comedy? My first adult gig was working at Costco for 12 years. That was really the first thing. That's what brought me out West. I'm originally from the Toronto area. And that was the thing that brought me out. That, in fact, if anything, that's kind of where I learned some of the stuff that I even teach now. Like I had to develop that because it was me running a department. But back when I was in high school, I was big into comedy. Like I remember in grade 11, we were asked to write on this big index card, like not the small ones, but like the larger ones. We had to take our yearbook photo and glue it to this card. And then we had to write down a bunch of stuff. And I can't remember everything I wrote down, but I do remember right now I want to be on Saturday Night Live one day. That was the goal. And, you know, I would do things like we had Airband and you remember Airband, right? Sure. And I would host it as George Herbert Walker Bush, like doing the Dana Carvey impression (laughs) of that guy. I ran for student council president as the Dana Carvey impression of George Bush. Nice. Like I did all that stuff. I was in place. I love doing comedy. And then when I got into Costco, that faded to the background. I thought, okay, it's time for me to have this nine to five. I got to pay the bills. I got to be responsible. And then what happened when I moved out West is I ended up living with a guy who I'd met in Vancouver, who also worked at the Costco there. So once we moved to Victoria, we both moved here. I was his boss. We started to do old improv games like status battle where he was low status and I was high status because I was his boss at work. I'd have managers come over. We'd have drinks at the house and we would prearrange that he would listen to me at home. He'd say, can I get anything? Yeah. Can you get us all around of drinks? And he would do it. You know, he would. And they're like, what's going on here? Like, what is Martin's damage? Like, I understand. We had eight and a half by 11 black and white headshots of each other on opposite bedside tables. So his picture was. And we wouldn't address them. We would just have people come into the room and they'd be like, they go, oh, this is a really. And then they just stop and they notice it. Like, we would just mess with people that way. And one day he said, you know, you're really good at this stuff. Why don't you go to this improv class with me? And I did. It was a company called Spilt Milk Comedy Theater here in Victoria. And I went and the bug was back. That was it. At that moment, that was when my Costco career was pretty much over. I was on the fast track. I was, I mean, I've got a friend of mine who I still keep in touch with. We both started at the same time 
at the same kind of level at the company. He's now a warehouse manager in Grand Prairie, Alberta, near where the, you know, just below where the oil fields are, or maybe just above. And I'm now doing what I do. It was just, I went on a completely different trajectory. And then the second thing I did for improv is then, this is the first paying gig I got as an actor, I got a check, like an actual check that said for acting services. And I'm like, oh, this is what I want to do. Yeah. And that's what started me down that path. But that was just, that's what I wanted to do. And I got to do it. And then ultimately what's happened is I've morphed what I got to do into being able to have as much of what I've wanted throughout my whole life. So as you're kind of, as while you're at Costco, you're doing some of the improv stuff, the bug is back and it's bit you and you're interested in, and are you thinking like, Hey, I, I want to give this comedy. I want to give improv. I want to, I want to make a run at this. I want to give this a shot. Or are you feeling like, yeah, this is kind of a fun little weekend hobby, evening hobby, but it's never really going to be anything. Like, how are you kind of feeling about your comedy and improv at that point? Well, I knew that was it. Like, I knew that's what I wanted to do. My performance at work started to slip. Luckily, I had some systems in place that made it look not nearly as bad as it was, but it was starting to slip it, to the point where I ultimately made a decision. I was miserable at work. I had founded my own sketch troupe at this point. So we were performing in places like San Francisco, Seattle. I went to D.C. and performed there. Vancouver. We had done a bunch of comedy shows and I was taking time off and using my holidays wisely and all that stuff. But it got to the point where it was too difficult to manage. So what I did was I mitigated the risk. I was smart enough because I'd been around. I mean, I wasn't a young guy you know, at that point. I had made my decision that I was going to find my way out. But I did it in a way that was strategic because I knew that I had to, you know, we had a baby, the brand new baby at the time. And my wife was like, you know, you can't just up and quit. So what I did was I stepped down from full-time manager to part-time door greeter. <laughs> nice. So I, I, Kind of everybody's dream job. Well, I mean, because what it was, was I basically said, you know what? I'm retiring from Costco. I became that, that guy that stood it because it was a low bandwidth job. Yep. I mean, my job was to go in, collect a check, say hi, get coupons out, highlight receipts and go home. Right. And the reason I went part time was because then I had control. They couldn't say that you must stay your full 40 hours. They said, you know, they would try to schedule me for more than 25 hours. I'd say, no, 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 no. 25 is what you're allowed to schedule me for. If you yeah. want me to stay later, I might be able to. But I took control back. And what was interesting is there was another guy who I'm really good friends with. He's now a country music artist. You know, he was in a rock band here. He's now, the band's called Bucko and Toad, and they've signed a Nickelback's label. Don't hold that against him. But <laughs> he is now performing all across Canada with country music. I didn't like this guy when I first started at Costco because he represented, you know, like the guy that was just there to earn a paycheck and use it to support what he was trying to really do. I became that guy. Yeah. Him and I worked the front door together. He'd work the exit. I'd work the entrance. So ultimately what <laughs> happened is, yeah, I worked my way and slowly made my way out the door. But I took a real jump down in pay grade and in hours. But the key was, is that I knew that I had those extra 15 hours a week, if not more, because I was management before I had to do something with those 15 hours. And that's when I started to build the, not just the comedy stuff, but I started to really study the productivity aspects. And I think that's where the seeds really started to get planted for what I'm doing now. Okay. How did you, there's a couple different things that are coming to mind here. As you're trying to cut back on the Costco stuff, you're trying to build the comedy stuff. What is like, what is your wife saying? What are people around you saying? Are people thinking like, well, I assume at that point you're in your 30s, you've got a new baby and you're trying to chase this comedy dream where, you know, if you're 22 and you've got no dependents and no bills, really, it's like, yeah, let's go chase a dream. But like at that point, there's just a lot more on the line. There's a lot more risk to it. And especially something like comedy where notoriously you can't make a ton and it's a very high risk type of thing and it requires you to travel and yada, yada, yada. Like what are people around you saying and thinking? 
Oh, uh, well, first off, I didn't tell my wife I was stepping down when I did initially. That was a big <laughs> thing because I knew if I went to her and said, I want to step down, then I wouldn't have done it. I mean, to her credit, she stuck with me through all that. And now we're reaping the benefits of that decision. But I came home from work that day. She goes, how was work? I'm like, oh, you know, this, that, that. Oh, and I stepped down. And she's what, 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 what do you mean you stepped down? I'm like, don't worry, don't worry, which is a classic phrase of like, I'm really worried, <laughs> uh, but I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. But people thought I was crazy. Like I was on the fast track going up. You don't quit. I mean, Costco is not for a lot of people. I mean, if you, it's a great company to work for. I would never, I mean, if you I have friends that still work there and they treat their employees phenomenally, it's, I mean, it's well-documented but it's not going to be for everybody and a lot of people saw me leaving this job and are going look man you're making like you're on your way up why would you do this like what you're right you've got a kid you've got this like why are you chasing this comedy dream and I didn't want to live a life with regret I didn't want to say you know what I should have done this I should have given this a try you know and I didn't because yeah, I wanted the money I wanted the five weeks vacation you know, and it was a tough decision to make, but I knew ultimately that I would have been miserable. And my wife even said that if I had stayed at Costco, much like if I had stayed in doing the comedy stuff, but she said if I had stayed at Costco, we wouldn't have been together. So it was, there was a bunch of factors that culminated, but people thought I was insane. All the management level people that were at Costco thought it was crazy. All the part-time employees thought it was fantastic. They're like, oh, look at this guy. He's showing us that, you know, this guy, but I mean, they're in their twenties. They're yeah. like thinking that's just normal. But you know, for me, it, it was a challenge. And then basically the next job I had was working for the film festival for a little while here in town. And that's when I really started to see the online stuff take off. So I was doing comedy stuff, but then I shifted it to writing for life hack and becoming a writing for work. Awesome. And, and starting to do that stuff that became another choice that I had to make down the line because you know, I had this great job at the film festival. I was the operations guy. I was back in a role. It, there was some creativity involved. There was a lot of flexibility and a lot of things I could do. And then all of a sudden, I had 40 hours of work at the film festival and 40 hours of work online. And the online stuff seemed like it was risky. But working for an arts organization that could have the funding pulled from it at any time is also something that's risky. Right. So that's when I made my second big decision and said, OK, you know what? I'm going all in online. So that jump at Costco, that move from full-time manager to part-time, which for my warehouse manager at the time, because he just thought I'd become a full-time cashier. That was the beginning of me being OK with taking risks, but making sure that they were you know, mitigated. You know, right, 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 right. So it sounds like as you're kind of backing up and backing out of your Costco role, you're doing the comedy, but you're also doing the productivity. Are you thinking like it needs to be one or the other? I need to either do comedy or I need to be productivity. So let's start doing both and let's just see which one sticks or what are you kind of thinking there? That didn't happen until I was getting ready to go work for the film festival. So when I left Costco, I left and actually was I was probably earning as much as I would have as a part time employee at Costco without benefits doing comedy at that point. And the productivity stuff was kind of creeping up, but it wasn't. I was still hell bent on I'm going to, you know, tour and do comedy and make videos and do all that stuff. It's not until David Allen came along when I was doing the Eventualism podcast and, and his company said, you want to write for us. And, and, and when I got that validation from him, I'm like, OK, maybe there's something here, because now all of a sudden I wasn't doing comedy writing for productivity. I was doing or satire. I was doing, OK, this is stuff. Basically, the person there said, oh, we'd love you to write for us. Don't make fun of us make it entertaining. And I did. And that was a pivot there. So when I was working at the film festival, at that point in time, I was still doing some comedy and we were still doing some, you know, stuff with a sketch troupe in that we had gone to San Francisco, done all that stuff. But I was at that point where, I mean, my daughter was going on five at that point. My son was on his way. And that was the time where I kind of said, okay, this is productivity is kind of where it's at for me. And 
I get to do all the stuff that I wanted to do in comedy, but I can provide for my family. Like my daughter, I want my kids to know that you can do whatever you really want to do in life and not have to struggle. You may have to make some compromises from time to time, but if you look for opportunity and you take advantage of it and you live within your means too, right? Like that's another thing is is I'm a big, you know, I was not a guy when I worked at Costco that lived within his means. I thought, well, I'm going to have this job forever. So I'll spend money and spend money and spend money. When you want to chase something like this down, you know that there's an end. There could be an end. The coaching clients can drop off, you know? So I had to be very cautious of this. So Costco wasn't where that pivot happened. It happened a little bit later. And I'm glad it did because if it didn't happen later, I probably – I wasn't ready for it. So I might have stayed at Costco even longer and my time was up there. I mean I was not – I was happy in the role I was in but there, I was taking somebody's spot. Yeah, Someone else should have had that spot. That's why I made that choice. When you're kind of doing the productivity stuff, how did you get on the radar of, of David Allen? And for people that aren't familiar, he's known as one of the big wigs in that industry and in that space, wrote a book, Getting Things Done. That's really mm-hmm. maybe the most popular book on productivity. So how do you get on the radar of such a big name like that? When I was doing the Eventualism podcast, I actually read Tim Ferriss's book and was following some of that stuff. And I just asked. I just emailed him. And I emailed Seth Godin, too. And both of them said they'd love to be on the podcast. I explained what it was about. Both of them appeared on it. Seth Godin's interview, I was terrified. Sure. Because I did it, but it sounded, when I listened to it, I'm like, oh, this is not going well. Because I did like a Stephen Colbert-esque type of interview with him where I was, <laughs> and I listened back to it afterwards, and he bought it. He sold it. Really? He such oh, he That's was tough so to pull good. off. He did so well. David Allen, of course, I mean, he just played along, but Seth Godin, like, he's like, okay, this is good. This, and I think maybe that's why he did the interview, because it was a bit different than what he had normally done. But I just asked. And I think that that's ultimately what, I mean, you just have to put yourself out there. I was watching earlier today, before I headed off to the dentist, Jerry Maguire was on TV. Dude, okay, this, hang on, I got to pause you. Yeah. I watched like 10 minutes of it during lunch today. A- AMC, right? Yeah, like, I saw it. <laughs> that's awesome. He puts, he puts that memo together. And then he's at the Kinko's, right, or the FedEx, or wherever he was. And the guy says, sometimes you got to put your junk on the, out there, right? Like, that's yep. what he says. He did, yep. he got, and he didn't say junk. But you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> sometimes you got to put it out there. And that's when great things happen. And that's kind of what started. I mean, Seth Godin will probably, re- he may not remember that interview. But if I reached out to him and told him about it, he had no reason not to believe that he had that. David Allen and I have had many conversations since then. You know, we met at South by Southwest last year. Yeah. You know, so... Anyone who's out there that's listening is like, well, how do I, you know, just ask. Just, I mean, the worst thing they can say is no. And, you know, I mean, that's better than not knowing. Have you been able to differentiate yourself on the subject of productivity? And I think the comedy piece probably plays into it. But productivity is a small niche. But at the same time, it is a, I don't know, from the outside looking in, it seems like it could be a very crowded niche because it's something a lot of people are interested in and a lot of people like to write about and they look for their five hacks to save five minutes in the morning, you know, or getting up early or staying up late or just cramming more into or getting out of the day. So how have you managed to stand out in a crowded field? Well, I think one of the big things was just having roles along the way, like being the managing editor of life hack holds a certain attachment to it. So there's definitely some of the roles that I've held, but also just being, I'm more about mindful productivity. The life hacking, my story when I left life hack was I was a managing editor there for a year. We increased readership significantly. And I had actually written a post on my site, which was called Vardy.me at the time. It wasn't called Productivity as then. And it was called What the Bleep Happened to Lifehacker. Because Lifehacker was a site that I used to read all the time. But then all of a sudden, they started just publish for the sake of publishing, in my view. And there were posts that were like, here's how to get 
more toothpaste out of the tube and here's how to how do you make sure that your hamburger bun doesn't get soggy slide lettuce underneath that meat and that way you're gonna like that's not a life hack like so i was i basically wrote an op-ed piece and some and actually life hacker editor kind of him and i had a not a row but we had a, a nice conversation in the comments on my site and then life hack once we hit that certain milestone they said okay what we want to do is publish five to eight times a day and i'm like wait a minute so you want to do the very thing i just said that i wouldn't do in life hacker so i quit uh, so you have to kind of i think when it comes to standing out in the field you have to do something that's different you have to do it well and you have to be willing to be different like i talk about mindful productivity i talk about you know i try to be make things simple i mean i am known for certain apps that i use but I'm trying to steer productivity just away from being known as a place where you can learn about Todoist and Asana. I'd rather have you learn about different approaches and, and how you could use those approaches with the myriad of tools that are out there. Because you and I both know there are tons of right. task management tools. So, and just being honest and authentic, you know, I mean, that's been a big part of what I've, you know, I mean, as a performer, when you're on stage, if you're delivering what you believe in, the time just flies. You know, the only way you can get the energy in a room with you, as far as I'm concerned, is if you're being forthright and honest and you've got your stuff down, you know it. Right. And, you know, I had a buddy of mine who's actually going to be at the United Way keynote that I'm doing here in Victoria. And he said, are you nervous with me being in the audience? I'm like, no, because I know my stuff. Like, I mean, I'm always going to have a bit of butterflies, but I'm not going to be nervous as like, oh, boy, somebody's out there. And I sure hope that it's just going to be like, be yourself. Right. And that's kind of what's happened. I mean, having the right roles along the way have certainly helped me. And, but sticking to it, being consistent, and be engaging. I think those are the big things that has kind of helped me stand out. And, you know, not being afraid to ask those big names to help you out. Not being afraid to go to, you know, David Allen or or, or Seth Godin or, you know, whomever to appear on your show. And, and you know, I mean, and, and to just talk with you. And, and, you know, when I go to events, I mean, talking to, like, Gretchen Rubin at Podcast Movement. Like, we know each other. Like, right. that's not a name drop or, or anything. Like, it's just if you're there long enough and you do good work, you get rewarded by it, right? Yeah, it seems like sometimes it's easy to just overcomplicate it when in reality, they, how you differentiate yourself and do well in any type of nature space is to put out good work, to be consistent, to build relationships, to be around long term. And it's just not that difficult, but it just seems like so many of us have a difficult time actually executing on it. So It's, it's interesting because a lot of people are so focused on quantity over quality when it comes right. to productivity when really it should be the other way around. That's what really builds an empire, for lack of a better term, is just that quality versus the quantity. So focus on the right things, and and that's when things will really happen for you. Well, I can't bring you all the way on here to not talk about productivity itself. So we're going to save this for the bonus round. So we'll talk a little bit about some maybe just some of your frameworks of how we can better approach our days, our schedules, our lives. And then maybe if you can mention a couple tools to us of what you prefer, things that maybe we should check out or be aware of on our computers, on our mobile devices, any of that stuff. So we will save that for the bonus round and just tease that out there. But in the meantime, if people are interested in finding out more about you and what you're up to, checking out Productivityist, where can we go? Well, I've set up a special page for everybody listening. So go to Productivityist.com slash grant. And because it's just easier than doing your site than slash Productivityist because it's hard to spell. Totally. So good. <laughs> and there'll be some free goodies there. I have uh, stuff about my weekly theming guide and things like that. So you'll be able to get a lot of information there. And you can also follow me on the Twitter. I'm at Mike Vardy on the Twitter. I'm there quite a bit. Awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely link up to that, productivityist.com slash grant. Make sure that you stop by and check that out. So, Mike, we will chat with you over in the bonus round, talk a little bit about frameworks, talk a little bit about tools, and hopefully you can whip us into a productivity shape. Sound good? Sounds fantastic. Thanks, everybody, for listening to me for the last little bit. Thanks, brother. 
All right, there you go, my friends. Hope you enjoyed that chit-chat with Mike Vardy of Productivityist.com. Really good stuff there. Hey, like I always mentioned to you, make sure you download the bonus material you can find over at GrantBaldwin.com slash Mike Vardy, or you can just click on the links. If you're listening to this in your app or mobile device, just click on the link at the top of the show notes page. You can download the additional conversation Mike and I have. We talk about some different productivity tools, some different frameworks to kind of help you think about how you approach your work, how you approach your day that uh, is really good stuff there from Mike. So again, also stop by, check out Productivityist.com. Sign up for his email list there over at Productivityist.com slash grant. You can get a couple of those free additional bonuses there. So, all right. I think that wraps up today's episode, boys and girls. We will catch you next time. You're awesome, my friends. What's up, everybody? Back here with my buddy Jordan Harbinger of the Art of Charm podcast. Definitely one that you want to download, subscribe to, leave an iTunes rating review, check out all that jazz you know you're supposed to be doing anyway. Anyway, we had Jordan on episode 49. First, make sure you go back, check that out. But Jordan, when we had you on the show, one of the things we touched on and talked about is kind of this myth that you're either born with it or you're not. And I think a lot of people that may listen to the show, we hear about some of these dream careers that people have and you think, ah, well, they've got something that I don't have. Like, is that true? Is that a thing that you're either born with it or you're not? It's not. You know, it's kind of funny because it's definitely the nature versus nurture question, but it's 100% nurture, maybe 98%. Sure, some people are going to have naturally more outgoing inclinations, but you don't need to be outgoing to network and create connections with people. And that's sort of the misnomer that a lot of people or the misconception that a lot of people have. And what you can do is train yourself to be curious, ask questions, reach out to people and try to help other people wherever you can. And it's like the old Ziegler quote, I'm going to blow it here and butcher this, but it's you'll eventually get what you want if you just help other people get what they want. And everybody I know who's been in sort of a crazy, amazing, high-level or famous-ish position, there's quite the element of luck for a lot of things like performers and artists, but for everybody else, there's a lot of relationships that are in the wake of people who help them get there. So the more you create those deliberately, the better off you're going to be, and then you find out that everybody's just like you at the top. So true. So much goodness there. So many knowledge biscuits that were just fresh baked, pulled out of the oven. Find more of that at theartofcharm.com. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.